Orchestra, Kevin, Dr. Martin, thank you for being here today. We appreciate the message that uh, you brought. And then, of course, Liberty University, we always uh, look forward to when they have been with us. They're always a blessing to us. So thank you for being here. Sometimes I watch some of the television preachers and uh, listen to the message, and there are those who tell us that God wants his children to be prosperous. And so if you are faithful to the Lord and send a small offering to my ministry, then God is going to prosper you. Well, that might be a good strategy when it comes to raising money. The problem is that simply is not scriptural. As a matter of fact, the truth is, if one commits their life to the Lord in sincerity, it can complicate your life. In fact, life can become more difficult because of your relationship to Jesus. That's true at work. In the first century, there was a stonemason, and he was asked to help in the construction of a temple to a pagan god. His question was this, as a Christian, should I be involved in this endeavor? There was a tailor who was asked to produce robes for a pagan priest and his question was, as a Christian, should I be involved in this? One actually came to Tertullian, one of the early fathers of the church, and said, I, I must live, what should I do? To which he replied, must you? You see, we see the same thing today, folks. If, you, if you're really serious in your commitment to the Lord and you really take a stand because of that commitment, there are difficulties you're going to encounter. That's true at work. We are all familiar with the Christian florist and baker and, uh, and wedding director and so forth who did not feel that it was right for them as Christians to assist in a same-sex marriage and they suffered as the result of it. What I'm saying to you is if you're serious in your relationship to Christ, it's going to cost you. It can cost you at work. It can cost you in your family. Some years ago, when I would go to Israel, there was a guide that I used on occasion. His name was Yehuda. Yehuda's father was an Orthodox rabbi, but Yehuda became a believer. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. As a result of that, he was disowned by his family. There was a price that had to be paid because of his relationship to Christ. In the first century, in the early church, there were difficulties socially because of their relationship to the Lord. Most or many of the events, the social events, were held in the temple of the pagan deity where they offered sacrifices to that deity. And so the question of those Christians during that time was, should I participate in these activities if I am a Christian? If I'm committed to Jesus Christ, is it right for me to participate in these activities? Those were legitimate questions that were asked then, that we still ask today. So we're going to look at that as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. We have come to Matthew chapter 5. Look with me please at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is, I believe, one beatitude with two blessings. It is the last beatitude, and it is the longest. It is the only beatitude with the command, rejoice. It is the only beatitude that is repeated, and it is the only beatitude that is addressed to the reader. All the others were statements of fact and instructions to the crowd. Now, what Jesus is saying to us as believers is that we should anticipate persecution. I don't know if you do or not, but that is what he is saying, that we are to anticipate as followers of Christ persecution. So he says in verse number 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are three basic reasons that we suffer, that we face difficulties in life. One is cause and effect. In other words, we do something and the effect is negative. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, Paul wrote, For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Well, the truth is, some of our financial problems, some of our financial issues, we bring on ourselves cause and effect. For instance, it is my belief that if a person chooses, who is a Christian, chooses not to tithe, then you have chosen to forfeit God's blessings on your finances. I know that there are those who say, well, I believe that God is going to get what is His, and if you don't tithe, He's going to get it somewhere else. That's all right. It's just not something that I particularly believe, but I do believe that if a person who is a Christian chooses not to tithe, then they forfeit God's blessings on their finances. Uh, sometimes we have financial problems because our outgo exceeds our income. We spend more than we take in. So we bring that problem on ourselves. That is especially true with the U.S. government. The U.S. government spends money that it does not have, and uh, we continue to ask them to give us more. And they've already spent all they have, and now then we have a debt of $20 trillion. Can you imagine that? No, you can't. You don't have that much money, nor do I. $20 trillion. And then with the unfunded mandates, it's my understanding, that comes to be about $70 trillion. That's spending money that you don't have. So we're going to suffer at some place. There's going to be a day of reckoning at some place, but we have brought it on ourselves. Some of our financial issues are problems that we have brought on ourselves as cause and effect. Some of our physical problems we bring on ourselves because we don't eat right, because we don't exercise, because we don't do this. I read an article a couple of weeks ago that said only 30% of millennials brush their teeth once a day. What is that about? Brush your teeth. 30% of millennials do. Now, I, I, maybe the dentists are happy. I'm not sure. We, we have some in our church. Maybe they're happy about that. I don't know. But brush your teeth. You see, many of the problems we have, we bring on ourselves. Our marital problems we have, we cause most of them, do we not? For instance, when we decide we are going to marry someone as a Christian who is not a Christian, we have set ourselves up for difficulties. 
Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. That was the problem of Samson. Samson went down, saw a woman from Timnah. He, he thought that he wanted to marry her. He went to his parents and said, get her for me. They said, Samson, you need to find someone from your own people. He said, she looks good to me. Now get her for me. And she became a problem to him. Young people, listen to me. When you get married, you ought to find someone who shares your value and your value of Christ. Because if you do not, that is going to be a problem down the way. Another reason we have some marital problems is because we don't take the time to understand each other as husband and wife. Peter wrote, you husbands, likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. I have a tendency to agree with the man who said the only man who understands a woman is a bachelor. <laughs> Women are incredibly complex. And as men, we don't understand that. And men are incredibly simple. And as women, you don't understand that. You think there has to be more to it. There's not. I know that's a mystery to you, but there's not. Any man would tell you that. See, I believe that there, I, I believe the basic need of a woman is security, and so men do everything you can to give her that security. I believe the basic need of a man is admiration. Ladies, do everything you can to give him ad admiration. So one of the reasons we have problems is because of cause and effect. We cause it. We cause many of the problems that we face. Some are spiritual trials. Peter said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. The fact of the matter is, sometimes we suffer simply because of our relationship to Christ. That was true with the apostle John. John was exiled to Patmos because of his relationship to Christ, because of the message that he preached. He was the pastor in Ephesus. They took him and, and put him on Patmos, exiling him because of his relationship to Christ. Christians are suffering today because of their commitment to Christ. Dr. Shaver gave this to me, and I found it interesting. It says from 35 A.D. to 2000 A.D., 70 million Christians have been martyred. Of these, 40, now there's 70 million, 45 million died in the 20th century. Isn't that amazing? More than half of those Christians who have been martyred were martyred in the 20th century. That is five per minute. 130,000 to 160,000 Christians are killed per year for their faith, five every minute. Newsweek wrote, Christian persecution and genocide is worse now than any time in history. There are people who are suffering today simply because of their relationship to Christ. That's it. It is a spiritual issue. I suppose the most difficult suffering we experience, though, is when it is mysterious. In other words, we don't know why we are suffering. Now, that was true with Job because the Bible says that he was a righteous man. Job 1.1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, 
And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. So Job then was a blameless man. He was an upright man. But look at all of his suffering. He lost his children. He lost his cattle. His wife turned against him. His friends. He lost everything and didn't know why. I mean, he is sitting there struggling as he's going through this time of suffering because he really didn't know why he was going through it. My guess is there are some of you today who are suffering and you really don't know why. I mean, you really don't know why these things are happening to you. But Jesus said that we are going to be persecuted. In verse number 11, he said, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. The word persecuted, vine says, means to put to flight, to drive away, to pursue. Barnes says to persecute means literally to pursue, follow after as one does a flying enemy. Here it means to vex or oppress one on account of his religion. Now here's the interesting thing to me about this. This is a passive participle. It speaks of one willing to be harassed because of their commitment, but not willing to change to cause the harassment to stop. They are willing to be harassed because of their commitment and not willing to change their commitment in order for it to stop. I think Bonhoeffer was a good example of that. Bonhoeffer was persecuted. He was harassed because of his belief concerning Nazi Germany. And he would not change, though he was harassed, for it to stop. Another thing is that this is in the perfect tense. That means continuous action. In other words, things don't get better. See, we think that sometimes things are going to get better. Not always. It means things don't get better. And that was Bonhoeffer also. He was harassed, he was persecuted, and then he was martyred because of his faith in Christ. Jesus said that you will be persecuted. He continues in verse number 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you. Now this is an attack of words. It is when people use words to attack someone. They constantly did that to Jesus. Barnes wrote, thus they said of Jesus, that he was a Samaritan, had a devil, that he was mad, and thus they reviled and mocked him. Are you as surprised as I am about the unkind things that are said about good, godly Christian people? I mean, I'm, 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 I shouldn't be. I know that. And if I read the Bible, the Bible says this is going to happen. And yet it always surprises me a little bit when a good, godly Christian person is attacked verbally. For instance, when Billy Graham died recently, I mean, who doesn't love Billy Graham? Billy Graham was the, was the spokesman for God. He was, the, he was the pastor to presidents. All those things, America's pastor. And yet when I read some of the things that were written about him by people, I thought, what in the world? That's not necessary. It isn't ne the man is dead. He's gone to be with the Lord. 
So why would you do that? And yet there were so many on Twitter, there were so many, and there were some articles in magazines and so forth as they criticized Billy Graham. And yet that is precisely what Jesus said. Attacked with words. And then he says in, in verse number 11, and evil falsely. Now, make sure the criticism is false. Barnes said, it is not blessed to have evil spoken of us if we deserve it. But if we deserve it not, then we should not consider it as a calamity. Folks, make sure that the evil that is spoken against you is not deserved. I'll tell you a secret. The truth is, some Christians are persecuted not because they're living righteously, but because they're jerks. Sometimes we just do things that uh, we ought not be surprised when people react as they do. So make sure that if you are persecuted, if evil is said against you, it is because you are living righteously. Not being a jerk. Jesus says we should anticipate persecution. And then he gives us the assurance of blessings in verse number 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. The world may persecute you, but God promises his blessings. You look at Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. You know the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. They thought he had died. And then he was sold to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. And then Potiphar had him put in prison. You look at all these things that happened to Joseph, how he was persecuted. And yet God raised him up, and he became the, the prime minister of Egypt at such an important time. God had a plan for his life. He went through all of this, but God raised him up, and he became the prince of Egypt. Daniel... Daniel was persecuted because uh, he believed in God and he prayed and there were some men who were jealous of him. And so the scripture says in Daniel 6 verses 3 and 4, Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental affairs. Daniel was faithful to the Lord and these people who worked alongside of him were jealous of him because the, he was getting notice and so they were jealous of him. You know the story, he ended up in the lion's den and all of that. But then God raised him up to be the prime minister of Babylon. So God still had a plan for his life. God still blessed him. Jeremiah? Jeremiah was called to be a, a prophet and, and uh, he argued with the Lord to begin with. God, I can't do this. I don't have any experience. I'm too young. I can't do this. And God said, no, but while you were in your mother's womb, he said, I have consecrated you. I've called you for this. And so he preached the message of the Lord, and it wasn't, a, it wasn't something good's going to happen to you. I mean, it was a negative message that God is going to bring judgment. And so they didn't like the message. They threw him into a cistern as a result of it and left him down there. But then God raised him up as a great prophet. God blessed him. 
you will be persecuted is what Jesus is saying. Now, folks, this is not if or when, but it says that you will. Now, it might not be like we read about in the Bible and, and the way some others are being persecuted, but you will. At school, students, if you live for Jesus, now, I know that's hard. I know that it's difficult because you're out of, you're out of step with everybody else. But if you live for Jesus, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be ostracized. You're not going to be included. That's just a fact. If you really live for Jesus, now you can be a Baptist and that probably won't affect anything. But if you live for Jesus, it's going to affect something. And there is a price that's going to be paid. If you, if, you, you, if you live for the Lord at work, there's a consequence. You may be passed over for a promotion. I, I know that whenever I got serious with the Lord, I mean up until then, I, people liked me. But then they didn't understand what had happened. And so I wasn't the darling that I had been at another time. But here's the thing. God's blessings will be extended to you. You might say, well, isn't that a contradiction? You, just, you started out by telling us these preachers on TV said that, you know, you're going to be prosperous. Maybe we're talking about different blessings. I do believe that God blesses faithfulness. What I believe to be one of the greatest blessings in this life is to know that you're in God's will. I believe that's one of the greatest blessings that a person has. If you know, I'm in God's will. That's the reason that whenever I, I talk to, you know, preachers, or, and sometimes they're saying, you know, I think God might be calling me into the, into the ministry. I think God might be calling me to this church or that church. My response is, you, you, you better find out. Because it is the call of God that oftentimes is the only thing that sustains you. Knowing that God has called me. One of the greatest blessings I think in life is to know that I'm where God wants me to be. That doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth, that everybody's going to appreciate you. But there's a tremendous confidence that comes when one knows I am in God's will. And then in the future, one day you'll hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there are blessings. I'm not saying that you're going to get financial blessings, but... I do believe that God blesses faithfulness. What is our attitude to be when we suffer? Look at verse number 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. I wonder what that means in the Greek. I mean, surely that's a misprint. I am persecuted and he says to me, rejoice. You are to, how many of you enjoy it? How many of you rejoice whenever you are persecuted? Well, that's what the Bible says. It says, well, let's look again. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. You know why, you know why uh, that, that the persecution of believers is important and you can rejoice? Because when you are persecuted or suffer as a believer... It authenticates your testimony. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Folks, I'll be honest with you in my opinion at least. It is not the prosperity preachers who authenticate the faith. 
It is those believers who are faithful to the Lord even when they're persecuted. You remember a couple of years ago, I, was, I still remember it, it's still very vivid in my mind, when they took the Coptic Christians out on the beach. They were all dressed in orange. They were kneeling there right before ISIS cut their heads off. And the reason they did that was because they would not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. When I saw that, my heart was broken. But that authenticated to me their faith. These people are serious about their relationship to the Lord. When someone suffers for the Lord, is faithful to the Lord, and then they suffer, rejoice because that authenticates the faith. It produces steadfastness in the believer. James 1.3 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the word endurance means to bear up under dependable. You see, it is a seasoned soldier who does not run when the battle begins. Because he's been there. I can tell you, I know people in this church and they have, uh, they have been faithful to the Lord and they have suffered, but boy, they are there and I count on them and I want them praying for me and I look to them because they are steadfast in the faith. Their faith is authenticated and they're steadfast. And then it produces maturity. James chapter 1 verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, when we go through the hard times, that's when, we're, that's when we grow up. That's when we are mature. That's when we become mature. That's around, sort of an aside note. That's the reason I'd say to you parents who have, have children, young people, you do a terrible disservice to them when you bail them out of the, of the consequences of their actions. They need to experience it. They need to experience the consequence of their actions so that they mature and learn that there are consequences to actions. You can also rejoice because it produces prayerfulness. I guarantee you when you're in the fire, you pray. When times are hard, you go to the Lord. So he says, rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great. Corey Ten Boom said, I have looked death in the eyes. What a joy it was that Jesus was with me. I was not afraid. I know that when they kill me, I would go to the house of my father with many mansions. What a joy. I knew the best was yet to be. The reward is great. The reward that the Lord has for his faithful people is great. So rejoice and be glad. And then he said, not only that, but you're in pretty good company. Down there in verse number 12, he says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're persecuted for righteousness, then it puts you in the company of others who have been persecuted for righteousness. And so let me conclude. Anticipate persecution. According to Jesus, it is going to come. So make sure that if you are persecuted, it is for righteousness. That is the reason for righteousness. Understanding that as I go through this, I am being prepared for eternity. Billy Graham told about a construction site. Men were working. 
He said he went over to one and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm mixing concrete. He was just mixing away. He went to another man who was working. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying bricks. He went to another man. He was chiseling on something. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm shaping this down here so it will fit up there. You know, I think that's what the Lord does when we go through tough times. He is shaping us down here so we will fit up there. So rejoice and be glad. Father, I thank you that you are with us always. You have promised never to leave us. And I pray, Father, for some who might be going through a difficult time today. I pray that you would comfort them, encourage them, teach them, strengthen them. And Lord, I, I just pray that you will make, help us to make sure that when we suffer, it's because of righteousness, not because of foolishness. Lord, I pray for this invitation that you'll be glorified in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and uh, the choir will sing as they sing. An invitation is extended. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. As you know, Easter is, uh, what, a couple of weeks away. And uh, invite, uh, invite someone to come with you. Make them, make them feel comfortable when they come. You know, a lot of times people come on uh, Easter. In fact, we are told that about 40% of Americans attend church regularly. On Easter, 70% do. So there are a lot of people who haven't been to church in a while. Make them feel comfortable that we are glad that they are here. Invite them. I mean, if they're going to go somewhere, they might as well come to First Baptist. So just invite them to come and, and be with us. All the activities are in your bulletin. You can read those as well as I, so you read them. 
And then Steve has already mentioned that we are uh, receiving an offering for the Gideons and that ministry and our ushers will have uh, plates or pockets or something, I don't know. Just put your, make your check out to Wendell Estep and God will bless you for doing that. <laughs> and if you don't want to do that, then it can go to, the, it will go to the Gideon. So on your way out, let me encourage you to be a participant in that ministry as well because all of it goes to Bibles. All of it goes to the Word of God. So I encourage you to do that. College uh, students, we have free lunch for you over in 1420 Sumter. Hope that you'll participate in that. Have any prayer needs, these deacons with red badges on, be happy to pray for you. Let's stand together as we are dismissed. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to know you and to serve you. May we be faithful in all that we do in Christ's name. the name